Two Geeks in a Marketing Podcast, episode 109, the one about silent Doritos chips, Halloween blog posts, YouTube growth, and the killers of the flower moon. Let's get on with the show. Welcome everyone to another recording of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. We are back for more news, tech, content and wisdom from the world of marketing. And as always, my co-host is a digital marketing veteran. He's a speaker, trainer and advisor with nearly three decades of experience who enjoys revealing visual storytelling techniques to help you build better online campaigns faster. I give you Monsieur Pascal Fintoni. Well, thank you very much for the introduction. You just heard from my co-host, a marketing speaker and consultant who spent his whole career helping his customers keep their marketing simple but effective. He's the author of Cat's Mass and Marketing Plans and the creator of the Roger Video Series. I give you Mr. Roger Edwards. Oh, thank you so much, Pascal. And here we are with episode 109. We are racing <laughs> through those numbers. Now, you've chosen the film that we're going to talk about later in the show. We always have to plug the film at the beginning, don't we? Because yes. it's one of the best parts of the show. And you've chosen a film which I hadn't heard of until you told me this is the one we were going to talk about. It's called Killers of the Flower Moon. And from what I can see, it might be the longest film in history. Well, it will be. Uh, and we're going to be discussing actually why it may be that you're not the only one who's not heard about the film or much at all since in pre this premiere at the Cannes Film Festival many months ago. And not only we're going to obviously look at the posters and the trailers and how exquisite it all looks because, of course, Martin Scorsese and co know their craft. But I want to talk about marketing challenges. What does it take for marketers to deal with a strike, to deal with a premiere that is nearly cancelled, to deal with complaints about the length of the film, to deal with a change of direction, and more importantly, to deal with you know an audience that was expecting to see it online, and now they have to go to the movies. Yeah, absolutely. So really looking forward to finding out a little bit about this film and looking at those marketing challenges. But Pascal, as always, we have got a lot of content to get through before we can talk about that film. So let's go straight in with our first segment, which is In the News. And we begin with news from McDonald's. The CEO, Chris Kensipsky, has pledged that even when it is operating from a position of strength, the brand would keep innovating and reinventing itself by stepping up its digital efforts and bringing together global marketing. Former Heinz Chief Financial Officer Heinz Schumacher, new CEO of the consumer goods giant Unilever, has told investors that the company will stop force-fitting purpose to all its brands. Interesting. Well, Mattel has reported a 16% increase in worldwide sales for Barbie products, which chairman and CEO Enon Kreis attributes to the blockbuster success of the summer films Barbie. Multinational brewer Heineken has committed to ensuring its prices are competitive in its fight for customer and consumer as it reported lower volumes in its most recent quarter. And the HSBC short-form video ad on Facebook sharing financial advice is among the top 25% ads when it comes to its effectiveness as judged by the public thanks to its TikTok-like vertical video and POV style. Mintel Research says the ongoing costs of living crisis is disproportionately affecting women over men. Just under half, 45% of women, say they feel financially worse off versus this time last year. By comparison, just over a third, or 35%, of men say the same. 
The four P's, product, price, place, and promotion, are increasingly managed by non-marketing executive roles. According to McKinsey, less than a third of companies have one role reporting to the CEO, while 31% have two and 36.6% have three or more such roles. 56% of UK consumers always accept cookies without thinking, and a third of Brits admit that they have given up following cybersecurity best practice because it feels like an impossible task, according to research from Thales. Now, Pascal, we're going to go straight into this four P's of marketing one because I'm sure you predicted this was the one that I was going to be ranting about. <laughs> I did indeed. Oh, yes. Now, I mean, I, I just don't know where to start on this. I mean, it's just indicative of some of the things we speak about on the show so much. Marketing is just so much more than just promotion, just advertising, just social media, just email lists and this, that and the other. Marketing is about researching the customer developing a product that meets a customer need, pricing that product, placing that product somewhere in the market, and then promoting it. But as we've seen over the last decade or so, the marketing discipline has been stripped back. And a lot of people just consider marketing to be promotion and nothing else. And this sort of bears that out, doesn't it? Because when I started in my career, a marketing director sitting on a board was responsible for the product the price the place and the promotion now it seems that on if there is a marketing person on the board that marketing person is only responsible for promotion which sort of brings us back to reinforcing that unfortunate view that marketing just is promotion now i have been a little bit cheered up more recently by seeing people starting to talk about the other three P's a bit more. But this sort of stat just really upsets me a bit. What do you think? Yeah, and I think that's the, the tone in terms of the way McKinsey is reporting it, it is matching you know, your your view, which is, uh, and listen, I have some sympathy with this idea of it's such a vast uh, agenda. Let's split it up and make life easier. But the difficulty is now, which is that then if you have one person reporting for one aspect of marketing business development and then another one does another, you're going to have silos, you're going to have miscommunication, you're going to also waste time and energy and and, and budget. So um, it's interesting, you know, when did it when did it begin, what I mean by that, Roger, when did it begin whereby if you had the label of marketing and any of the other synonyms, you were affixed the promotion side. And the rest was given to somebody else because I certainly didn't start like this in the 80s and 90s. And indeed, you know, I was also involved in the process element. So the whole customer journey, I was obsessed with it, you know, um, as well as the people element of the, the brand the brand experience. So you can add to the four Ps, not not uh, subtract. Yeah, I know. It's, it's just... Interestingly enough, I'm doing a talk in a couple of weeks at a conference in Belfast, and this is part of the argument. And these statistics are going to find their way into the presentation because my argument is that marketers have got to rediscover if they've lost it or even just learn about it for the first time, the wider discipline, learn about the product and the price and the place and the rest of it, even if, even if they are only just responsible for the promotional bit, it will still help them to be better promoters, better advertisers, better social media people, if they understand the rest of the process, even if they're not responsible for it. And maybe if we do re-embrace the whole discipline, then eventually we'll find the whole thing starting to c come together again. Because I, I agree with you, the silo 
um, the, the silos that are created by having different people responsible from the different elements of marketing can create problems. Jumping back to HSBC. Now, this is this was actually quite surprising because let's face it, financial services companies are never usually the best marketers. They <laughs> they tend to be quite flat. They tend to be quite dull. But here we have um, a video ad that's been pretty viral on Facebook, becoming one of the top 25 ads when it comes to effectiveness. Now, I've had a look at the advert, and it is genuinely TikTok orientated. You can tell it's got that quick cut style. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of um, graphics and a lot of words flashing up on the screen. I can see how it appeals to the TikTok generation. But it's interesting, isn't it, that a financial services company has decided that this is the way to go? Uh, I like it a lot because actually it plays to what you and I would always recommend, which is study the audience, study the market, study the trends, your communication style. Uh, it is often the case that advertising is informed by, I'm going to go street culture, shall we say, mm -hmm. another conversation in, in cafes and bars, the manner in which friends and family will keep in touch with each other. Um, I think also I see a lot of that happening with regard to the promotion of um, you know music or, or movies and so on. We're seeing a lot more of this idea of mimicking the comfort and the reassurance of a video call between you and a close friend. And I think that's what HSBC have done. I've seen a lot of examples of that as well in France, interestingly. Yeah, no, it's it's nice to see a financial services brand actually doing something human for a change because usually they do something remarkably complicated or inhuman, you know, full of jargon and gobbledygook. So it really is nice to see something from a financial services company with a human touch. The last one I wanted to draw your attention to, Pascal, was this whole McDonald's thing where they, they're actually doing quite well at the moment, McDonald's, aren't they? And and this new guy is really wanting to push the innovation and especially pushing the way into the digitalization side of things. Now, I read a separate article, which almost made it into my content spotlight, I have to say, where, uh, I don't, and I only think this is happening in America at the moment, but McDonald's at the moment are giving away a free portion of chips each week for people who sign up to their app. And this has gone down an absolute storm, as you would expect, because people want the free chips. All they need to do is download the app onto the phone, press a few buttons, register, whatever, and they get the free chips. Whilst, of course, they're giving up all their data uh, to McDonald's to do with what they want. And, of course, that's what McDonald's want. I mean, I've never been a massive fan of McDonald's. I just don't like the food. It's greasy and it's horrible and, uh, and pretty tasteless and pretty plastic. But they do seem to be doing some pretty interesting marketing things at the moment. They always do. They always seem to engage the audience, you know, uh, and, and create that that warmth and and, and welcome um, wherever you go. What, what what is interesting for me is back to this almost, you know, on paper that this shouldn't work. How hard is it to go to the to the local restaurant and queue up and order, or now, um, you know, use those um, those boards, you know, interactive boards? Although once as we were driving back to the UK, actually, we had to stop somewhere. And when it's late in the evening, where, where do you stop on the motorway? But to a McDonald's. And and I have to say, you know, when we walked in there, I felt so uh, um, at a all because I didn't know how to order. So we walked <laughs> to the counter. And this is where you've got to be careful about digital you know, efforts. 
And I was told to step away from the counter and go to those interactive screens and order from there. But And it was more like, you know, almost like in those movies, Roger, where you kind of go, well, I'm here in front of you. I, this is my order. What do I have to? So he, off he went into a very greasy uh, screen, I have to tell you. I mean, uh, Mitra had, uh, took some gel afterwards. And we ordered. And then we went back to the counter waiting for, for the orders. It was all, all a bit bizarre as an experience. So back to the four Ps, you may think you've got the digital stuff, you know, sorted, but walk through the customer journey and ask yourself the question, you know, can we at least allow people to order um, with, a, with a person all the screen, all the app, as opposed to eliminating options. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. You can't cut the human touch out, and that that person that you just described there was genuinely rude. I would have, <laughs> I would have probably walked out if I hadn't been travelling for as long as you had, and were, were desperately hungry. I would have said, "Right, you don't want my business. I'm out of here." But uh, yeah, don't lose the human touch. Well, Pascal, really interesting news items there. We could probably have talked about all of them, but time is pressing, and we do have that fabulous film that we want to talk about later so let's move on from in the news and move on to the next section of the show which is another of my favorites it is the content spotlights in this part of the show pascal and i find a piece of content it could be an article could be a podcast could be a video and we effectively dive in deep and see what it's got to say so pascal what have you got for us this week well, listen, I'm delighted to bring back one of our very old friends on the show, Natalie Emini and her colleagues from Oko Comida. When I say old, as in we've known each other for many, many years. She's been a big supporter of the podcast, and she's also start, restarting the series with me uh, very recently. She's not old in age, I hasten to add. Uh, and she is always a great source of inspiration and she's always kind of practicing what she, she, she preaches. So I thought I would use, you know, her recent blog series as a bit of a, a reminder that, you know, when particularly you are on social media and when you, you run your own blog, you have permission to be creative. And this is what happened with the Halloween blog post series. So, um, you know, we are recording episode one, uh, 109, a few days after Halloween. Why well, isn't to add, my wife and I bought some sweet sweets um we are new to to our location so we bought some sweets and nobody came uh-huh. and i wasn't sure whether to be delighted for not being disturbed that night or be offended by you know being ignored by the children of um you know li- living locally but so for the last few days i've been eating lots of sweets which allowed <laughs> me to spend time looking at what natalie Emin and her colleagues have done so uh, what I love about looking at this blog series is lesson number one, if you will, Roger, don't just do one-offs. You know, if you have a big event, you want to fix your marketing campaigns to Halloween or any other kind of seasonal events. So it could be special hashtags and international days, uh, anniversary and so on. Lead up to it. Don't just do the one-off on the day. So they started their blog series on the 27th of October with a poem. So again, I mean, when was the last time you saw somebody write a poem? In a blog series, it was called the Spooktacular Social Media Marketing, and and it was a real poem. They even had some properly done graphics, um, and and I thought it was just a lovely way. And actually, say, and we officially today with this poem, you know, a kind of Halloween poem, we are starting the Halloween blog post series. Uh, a, a bit later, they had a story, a frightful flight, a Halloween horror story, and this is a story about a little blue bird, Roger. 
and I'll say no more. But if you allow me, I'm going to read the last sentence of this Halloween horror story about this bluebird. A stillness washed over the land as the girl moved on, and on the ground, two feathers lay in an X, marking the spot where Larry the bird twitted for the very last time. And then, so... <laughs> In in recounting the more or less the you know the anniversary of you know moving from Twitter to X, they wrote it in Halloween horror story and using that kind of storytelling style, which I thought was was great. They moved on then to another one called "Sharing Is Scaring," another Halloween horror story, and this is about a um, lady, Alison, who is working very very late. She's not paying attention, and she shared content. 13 times, Roger, mm-hmm. with everything that comes with it. So, of course, within there, the um, recommendation from the team at Okokumi and Natalie, be careful, don't share too widely, be thoughtful, and so on and so forth, or things could happen to you. And that led to the ultimate Halloween blog post on the day, 31st of October, trick or treat, question mark, scarily good marketing tips. And then what they do here, there are an article where trick is basically the trap people fall into, and then treat is Natalie and colleagues' suggestion about how to change your activities and approach to social media marketing. So I give you the first one, and then everybody can follow the link in the show notes to uh, read the full trick or treat, scarily good marketing tips. So the first one, the first trick or the first trap, trying to be active on all social media networks. And the treat, of course, is less and more. Not every network is right for your brand. And so it goes on. But there it is, you know, allowing yourself to be creative, allowing yourself to surprise your audience with different style, from stories to poetry to checklists and so on, and leaning on the theme, that's the way you do it, not a one-off, do a series, and just surprise your audience with very, very diverse tones of voice. No, I love this. And and it's really nice to celebrate somebody local. So well done, Mm. Natalie and the team for this. You know, often in content spotlights, we're talking about big corporates and their advertising campaigns, or we're talking about people on YouTube with hundreds of millions of followers. Whereas here, we've got somebody we know, somebody local, who's doing something really, really creative. I mean, I love the story you told there, how the the bluebird tweets (laughs) for the last time and the, the X, the feathers fall down in the shape of X. I mean, that's actually, genius i love that it is, it, it is. musk wouldn't be very pleased about it but i actually i think that's that's really good so no it's it's a good reminder for us that we need to be creative and we need to surprise people and unfortunately you know i think that the world that we live in at the moment we are in that state of content overload. We've got AI creating more and more content, and a lot of that content is bland content. And it's nice to see somebody coming up with something challenging but interesting at the same time. Super. So what about your selection, Roger? Well, Pascal, I have to admit that this started off as one of the news items um, for this week. But then I, the, when I read this article more, I thought, you know what? This has to be the, the content spotlight because this is just this is just mad. It's goofy, but there's a huge marketing lesson <laughs> in this. Um, now, the, the, it's an article that appears in the Drum magazine, and the heading is Using AI, Doritos Takes the Crunch Out of Gaming with New Silent Chip by WebWrite. Now, the, the Webwrite is the author, by the way. I, I thought Webwrite was a great name. Um, now, I just read this and I thought, this has to be a joke, hasn't it? But actually, it's utter, utter genius. Now, we, we talked about the four P's of marketing early on, but the whole concept of marketing really is about who's your customer, 
identify who your customer are, what is their problem, and then build a product that fixes the problem that that customer has in the shape of a product or a service. And then, of course, you price it, you put it out into the market, and you promote it. That's the whole marketing process that we mentioned there in, in the news. Now, what Doritos have done is they have identified a core part of their target market and they are gamers now you and i we play games don't we pascal Fortnite, whatever it might be call of duty um many many years ago things like duke nukem we are gamers and a lot of the time according to doritos gamers are sat in their very comfy chairs with their joysticks and all their controls and they never leave these chairs for hours and hours so they like to have a snack and of course doritos are one of the snacks of choice for hardened gamers but the problem is is that your gamer has got the headphones on they've got the microphone on they're probably talking to their 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 compadres on the web i think they you call them their squads or whatever it is if you're part of a squad but the problem is if you're noshing on a bag of doritos you are making also awful crunching sounds which not only um gets in the way of the music and the sound effects of the game that you're playing it also annoys the heck out of your squad your other players in other parts of the world they can hear you crunching away so doritos have come up with this mad idea of a piece of software that uses ai to effectively sample the sound of your voice going into the microphone and it and it sort of works out the sounds of the crunching noises of eating doritos and it eliminates it from the sound feed so you can sit there you can throw in as many doritos into your mouth as you want you can chew them and crunch them as loud as you want but your squad wherever they are in the world won't hear the crunches i just think that i mean that is, it is actually a genuine marketing thing they've identified a customer need and they've created a product to fix it now of course the whole point is it's another another uh, marketing ploy to get people to buy Doritos but I just think that this is one of the wackiest most fun ways of solving a customer problem that I've seen whether the AI bit was warranted I don't know I mean they say we used AI to identify blah 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 Every, I, AI does everything these days doesn't it but I think it's quite interesting this so next time you are eating Doritos <laughs> when you're playing Fortnite Pascal make sure you've downloaded this so that we don't have to hear your crunching this is so so good on so many levels so to begin with I agree Webrite, what an amazing name. Uh, I mean, I'm almost very, very envious. But this whole, I mean, if you said to me that this had been a PR stunt for, you know, um, the 1st of April, I would have loved it all the same because I think it's just so, so good. And you can just imagine how this would get picked up by, you know, so many uh, other media from informal bloggers all the way to formal uh, marketing companies like The Drum, which uh, reported this story. And it's back to this idea of, you know, how do you make that connection with the audience? I remember, you know, one of my early mentors when I started in marketing, I think talking about the four Ps, this is making me very nostalgic. He was saying, you know, make them smile. Like I, at first I was struggling with it. What do you mean to say, make them smile? They're either going to smile because it's clever or because it's witty. He said, be careful about humor. I used to be very, very careful about that. And I think this has every, the, the hallmark of being clever and witty. To a point 
I don't even care if it doesn't work. I just love the, the whole approach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's it's genius. It's absolute genius. Um, and and it, and it, you know, it, it's classic marketing. They've focused in on a specific section of people. Now, you know, people will be eating Doritos whilst watching movies, sat on the couch. But what they've done here is they've narrowed the target market down to gamers, and it's just marketing happening. It's it's the essence of marketing. That's why I love it so much. Perfect selection. And I have to say, it's been a while since we've had some content spotlights where you're not having good chuckle as well. <laughs> yeah, I know. More of it, please. More of it. The world is far too serious at the moment. Okay, so content spotlight's done. Let's fire up the controls of the TARDIS. Let's set the flux capacitor to overload. We are going to head back in time and celebrate this week in history. And in 1962, the epic film Mutiny on the Bounty, which recounts the 1789 mutiny on the HMS Bounty, was released in American theatres. It is perhaps best known for its production difficulties, many of which are centred on style Marlon Brando. In 1972, the American cable television company HBO officially launches its conceptual subscription service offering unedited theatrical movies and live sporting events, all without interruptions by advertising. In 1989, the Berlin Wall is dramatically breached after nearly three decades of keeping East and West Berliners apart. In 1994, the team at Sunsight, the first US website from the University of North Carolina, helped WXYC become the first radio station in the world to stream its on-air signal live over the internet. Pascal, let's just talk a little bit about Mutiny on the Bounty. Now, interestingly enough, this film starring Marlon Brando, I think, is close to three hours long, which makes it a very early example of a very long film. And we're going to come back to that when we get on to this week's film, which has been cri criticised for being long. But uh, I, I have a, a, a real um, connection with the story of the Mutiny on the Bounty. I've read many books on the subject and there are three films really and maybe we'll have to do a special edition it'll be a whopper a special edition of film marketing one day where we look at each of the three main versions of mutiny on the bounty there was one made in about 1933 starring clark gable and charles lawton this was the 1962 one and there was another one made around about 19. 80 with anthony hopkins in it and um uh who mel gibson, who, mel gibson that's what i was going to say kevin costner then it wasn't kevin costner it was mel gibson now in terms of historical accuracy the mel gibson one is the closest to the truth the other two portray Bly as an absolute sadistic monster who tortured people and killed people and was just a nasty nasty person um whereas the the more modern film was was truth but interestingly enough the bad guy on this film was actually going on behind the scenes because by this time marlon brando's ego had grown to be just phenomenal and you know he, he was he was in that league of people who wanted cages of white doves in his um, caravan and lots of rose petals on the floor and that sort of thing and the film never nearly never got released because he caused so much trouble during the filming of it that it overran it ran over budget it overran in time and i think after this despite the fact that it was a very good film i don't think anybody wanted to work with marlon brando again 
No, and and you know that that's interesting, isn't it? Because ultimately, as audiences, we should be able to enjoy the film for what it is. But because you know about those stories, and because you know about sometimes the bad behaviour, sometimes you can't be sure whether it's been reported uh, you know, truthfully or this slight exaggeration. But um, it does it does impact uh, you know a product's reputation. It could be a film, uh, the behaviour of you know the people behind the scenes, and and that's why we were talking about the, the four Ps. I must go back to that again, and I think. <laughs> Uh, the people element as well as process is so so very important yeah so pascal you brought into this one of the the items about hbo and yeah. this conceptual subscription service offering unedited theatrical movies what was the significance of this so two things for me i, I was shocked about the year yeah. i had yeah. i'd thought HBO was more than 80s invention and then 70s. And I would recommend people to seek out, you know, that there's many websites reporting on the history of HBO, now called Max, which you and I mentioned in the, in the news in a previous episode. So this uh, home box office business started with really a very, very tiny cable service for a small part of New York. It was a very, very specialist. You know, imagine just having um, a streaming service just for Edinburgh, if you, if, if you will. And it wasn't doing very well at all because, of course, the audience was so, so limited. But it was also the offer wasn't clear. And and he took the the inventor of the uh, the, you know, the original version of HBO to actually meet others and be challenged and having to represent once again the offer to the, the financiers and so on for him to realize that actually now the offer is as follows. It is the unedited version of the movies, because back then there was still censorship and so on. It is a live sporting event that either are too far away from you or the ticket price is too expensive for a family. And more importantly, unlike normal uh, TV, there's no interruption by advertising. So literally, the eventer had to remember to say things simply. Yeah. As opposed to be bogged down with the detail, which is easily done by all of us, of course. Um, and he was able, as a result of which, not only um, you know, convince, if you like, the, the audience, but actually the investors gave him more money for what was, you know, factually a failing service. And I think there's something in there about, you know, stepping away, listening to others, getting a challenge and writing it down as you would, um, well, it was sometimes the expression you use, Roger, you know, as you would with someone who's non-expert non or or even or even a child, and then go back out to the investors who are about to sack you and say, you know, I've got this crazy idea to go nationwide. Uh, and sometimes you've got to go go and, and do that. But interestingly, you know, the, the home box office, um, it was a name that was used last minute it had other term which was more linked to either the inventors or, or whatever. Um, so for me, it's, it's just an important lesson that just as if things are not working, there's a reason for it. And can you go back to the, your why, which is often the way in which it's expressed, and can you express it more simply because you might uncover the, the, the real way to go about it? Yeah, no, again, we, we seem to be learning quite a few lessons this week, don't we, from the uh, the four P's of marketing. And again, it always comes back to the customer. And sometimes you have to push the boundaries a little bit to give the customer what they want. As always, Pascal, we owe a massive debt to these pioneers from the past. We wouldn't enjoy all the luxuries we have now and all the technology we had, have now if these people hadn't pushed those boundaries in the past. But let's bring things 
more up to date and let's focus specifically on marketing tech and apps so pascal what amazing technology have you uncovered for us this week okay well i want to take you back to the news item about hsbc and the TikTok-like video effort. This will not surprise you, but for the last two weeks, easy, have had lots and lots of um, queries and questions about, I've got this video content, how do I make it into this viral stuff? People say that, you know, a bit loosely, but I understand what they mean. How do I make my uh, long-form interview? How do I make my advert? How do I make my kind of showreel into a vertical video that is in line with current trends by the typography, the, the, the fast cuts, and, and so on. And it sure happens that you and I have been actually mentioning quite a few tools you know, uh, for the last three years, but there's some newer one, as you would expect, AI-powered tools, of course. And I've got one which is also UK-based startup, which I'm really excited about, um, actually based in Durham, not far from us. So you've got in the show notes, everybody, two companies I want you to look into. They have a free trial, which I think is very generous, and you can really test out you know, about uploading a Zoom call or anything else you've got from YouTube. So the first one is Opus.pro. I believe they are US-based, and they literally repurpose your long-talking videos into vertical shorts uh, in one click, and you can uh, edit the, 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 the typography, you can change the pace at which you know, the, the, um, the, the captioning is changing and so on, and it, it's a lovely lovely interface as well. Looking into the UK-based startup in Durham, choppity.com, really, really interesting the way, they, the way they've, they've approached it. So they're looking for people who do long-form interviews like you and I, and what they give you is a number of vertical bite-sized content that has been chosen by AI based on keywords, based on perhaps how animated you are and so on. And then you can go into your dashboard and edit, tidy up, Again, uh, I did the copy, change the way in which you know, the text is moving. You can put some different colors and so on, and then download accordingly. Uh, in both cases, but particularly the UK-based companies, the monthly plans are very, very accessible. So uh, I think that's definitely something people should be doing right now, if not you know, in 2024. So that's long for video. I thought I should add a little bonus, if I may, um, and remind everybody to really update their Zoom account, if they have one, to the very latest version. Zoom have introduced the AI meeting summary. We are, in fact, testing it as we are recording this episode. And so far, I have to say, I've been pretty impressed. If you're having a long-form conversation with a guest, you will get you know, a good, good bunch of, uh, of copy that you can edit to make a long-form article. So Zoom AI meeting to support your long-form video conversion with opus.pro or choppity.com. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating as well how accurate these things are starting to get you know how it manages to choose the clips and how it manages to do the editing now i i've kept with the video theme here pascal uh -huh. and it, it's a it's a bit about youtube growth really and there are two big companies out there that are trying to help youtubers grow their subscriber base become more business-like get sponsorship that sort of thing and you've probably heard of both of them and i think we have probably talked about them on the show before maybe not for a while but certainly 
back towards the beginning of Two Geeks in the Marketing podcast, and they are VidIQ and Tube Buddy. And I, I just found myself going looking back at them because my subscription for Tube Buddy is coming up for renewal. And I have to say, I tend not to use Tube Buddy maybe as much as I used to do in the past. Now, both VidIQ and Tube Buddy will create. Um, keyword searches for you so you could look to see whether if you wanted to do a video about a travel um, traveling to Edinburgh or if you wanted to do a video about unboxing a new camera or if you wanted to do a video about the latest recipe for a cupcake this keyword thing within TubeBuddy and VidIQ would tell you whether that keyword is overused or whether it's one that you might gain traction from if you made a video about it. It will also suggest loads of tags for you to put into your video. But interestingly enough, both VidIQ and TubeBuddy, I think, over-egg this whole tag business um, with YouTube. And, you know, they're often sending you emails saying, we don't think this video of yours has got the correct number of tags. And yet they admit in their blurb that YouTube has a, a disclaimer on its own website saying, to be perfectly honest, tags are totally and utterly um, useless now and, and you don't take much notice of them. But the reason that I brought these up is I would really welcome people out there who are listening to the show and watching the show to give me a little bit of feedback as to whether you think TubeBuddy and VidIQ are just, just a little bit past it. Maybe once you start on YouTube and you start to grow a little bit, do you just move on from them? Because I find that... You know, once you've got past all of that keyword stuff, I don't really get much value from them. And that's why I'm considering dropping the TubeBuddy subscription. Now, I did consider, shall I drop the TubeBuddy subscription and try out VidIQ? But then I looked at the prices, and the prices are really actually quite high. Um, you know, VidIQ want $49 a month for the version of their system, which actually gives you access to the stuff you might need. There is a cheaper tier, but to be perfectly honest, all you're getting from that is the keyword thing, which again, is, is uh, I feel as if I'm a little bit past that. So whilst they are introducing a load of AI stuff into it now, so you can, you can check your, your headlines, you can check your titles, you can check your descriptions, and it'll use AI, whether it's a version of chat GTP, I don't know, to give you suggestions for better titles, etc. They are building things like that into it. But I'm just getting to the stage now where I'm thinking, are these two websites a little bit past their prime? So please do get in touch. This is more of a more of a plea for me to make the decision to dump TubeBuddy and not uh, subscribe to vidIQ or indeed you, you may come back to us and say do you know what Roger you're talking rubbish you should be using TubeBuddy for this or you should be using vidIQ for that so please do get in touch and let us know but Pascal what do you think? I think you know you and I and I'm talking you know without actually having a chance to consult with you but we try very very hard to always bring something brand new to the show so by episode 109 we have reviewed and mentioned over 400 different kind of applications and apps but we're going to be careful because they're all uh, refresh and reset I mean case in point zoom a moment ago with the eye summary mm -hmm. so I don't think we, you and I should be too strict with ourselves by not mentioning a platform again but I think your point about the business case 
And interestingly, with one of my customers, I've asked them to send me a long list of all the apps that they've subscribed to, even if they've gone for a free plan, because two things are happening. They either forgotten that they have them and they're paying monthly, or they have them, they're not using them to the full. So case in point, I've got a client who's using Agora Pulse, but not fully. So I said, listen, you're a paying customer. What if I were you, and I'm happy to do it on your behalf, I would contact them and say, can we have a demo so that you know we can reconnect with the platform mm-hmm. and make sure that we don't forget about some facets that you know would make our life easier. And more importantly, uh, with regard to AI-powered solution, it is always a little wiser and better to query the platform that you have currently as opposed to seeking out something new. So, yeah, I think it's what we do in business. You know, we, we have to study, we have to reflect. You can use a, a scoring system if you want and make sure that um, very much like we saw a moment ago with um, the content spotlight, less is more when it comes to your toolkit. Absolutely right. No, I think it's it's good to challenge. It's good to challenge. So thanks for that, Pascal. Well, we've made it. We've got to that part of the show where we're about to talk about this week's film. So everybody, take a deep breath. Let's get ourselves ready for film marketing. Well, Pascal, this week you've chosen a film which I have to say I haven't heard of. It's just been released. It's at the cinemas. It's called Killers of the Flower Moon. It's directed by Martin Scorsese. Let's dive in and have a look at the trailer. Whose land is this? My land. Well, 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 our war hero has arrived. You made a good choice coming back here. Those days are the finest, wealthiest, and most beautiful people on God's earth. They outsmarted everybody. They have to say, who gets the oil? Son, I got a question. You like women? <laughs> That's my weakness. <laughs> well, we mix these families together, and that estate money flows the right direction. It'll come to us. Shomikasi. That's how you are. I don't know what you said, but it must have been Indian for handsome devil. (laughs) Why did you come here? I work with my uncle. You scared of him? Oh, he's he's the nicest man in the world. The old sage, their time is over. We got to take back control of our home. I was sent down from Washington, D.C. to see about these murders. We have so many deaths, we've lost count. It's just bad luck. Seems more like an epidemic than bad luck to me. Osage is dying by the enemy. Do not let them die alone. Evil surrounds my heart. You gotta pick a side. I don't even know if you love me anymore. Of course I love you. Then kill these men who killed my family. Did your wife say who she was most afraid of? Don't do something you're gonna regret for the rest of your life. 
ain't got nothing but regret. Do you know what? Robert De Niro looks really, really evil in this one, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> It's it's interestingly, you know, just on the strength of this trailer, I'm going to ask you, and then I'll ask you the question again at the end of our marketing review. Just on the strength of, the, of this trailer, the likelihood of you to go to, to see this movie on the score or one till ten? No, I think I'm probably about an eight. Yeah, I'm probably about an eight. <laughs> In, interestingly enough, I'm I'm going through a phase at the moment where I'm not that keen on going to the cinema itself. Arguably because um, people sit in cinemas crunching away on Doritos and eating um, all sorts of horrible, noisy, smelly foods. Now, maybe if Doritos come up with an app which you can sort of beam into the air in a cinema to mask out the sounds of people eating, that would be quite good. But I digress. I digress. Uh, but no, I think this is a definite eight to nine out of 10 for going to see. Uh, uh, me too. Uh, I think, you know, that the, the offer in terms of something that's going to look exquisite on the very large screen, um, the, the tension. So what is interesting is uh, the, between the trailers and the posters, you get a bit more about the complexity of the story. Because at first it was like a, a straightforward good versus evil story. So Leonardo is a good guy. Robert De Niro is a bad guy. And then Leonardo is going to win at the end. But actually, it's a lot more complex than that, as you discover through the trailer that this is more you know, almost like the return of the prodigal son. Uh, Robert De Niro plays the, the uncle. So went to the godfather you know, Mississippi burning territory type things. And and I think it's, it's going to play with our emotions and, you know, it's going to be quite interesting. But the fact that it's based on a true story, it's quite arresting, isn't it? Mm, absolutely right. Absolutely right. But no, the, 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 the trailer does a good job of setting up good versus evil but you do know there's also a load more characters there's obviously there's obviously a love story going on in there as well it's set set against a wide back it almost has a western feel to it doesn't it the way that it, the way that the trailer comes across so so no quite excited about this one and pretty much all of de niro's films are worth watching <laughs> i i i i i um I, I, he went through a little bit of a, a, a low phase in those um, Meet the Fockers films. I didn't particularly enjoy those. I, I didn't think he was he was a, he was better as a villain or as a gangster than he is as a comedy actor. But this, he looks like he's returning to form, and he must be in his late seventies or eighties now, um, uh, Robert De Niro. But he looks mean and evil in this film. I have to say. Yeah, I love the way. Obviously, you know they had access to you know good amount of of, uh, of budget for that, mm -hmm. but they saw nineteen twenties, you know, kind of mm -hmm. almost turn the century uh, depictions. So we're going to have amazing landscapes and the costumes, everything. Um, the music is going to be exquisite. Um, interestingly, it's rather poignant. But uh, the music composer Robbie Robertson has been working with uh, Scorsese on so many movies, and sadly, because it's part of the the information you have by the movie. Movie, he passed away two months before mm -hmm. the film's release, so the, the mm -hmm. whole movie is dedicated to the music composer, which I think is very, very important. But this whole idea that this is actually an um, an FBI investi investigation of mm -hmm. a series of murder of the Osage people. So when you look at um, you know the official, if you like, summary of the movie, they call it a Western crime drama, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is going to appeal, therefore, to a very wide audience, you know, as opposed to being like an action film or, or, or that kind of things. Um, so the story behind it is interesting because like all movies, 
production was slightly uh, halted by COVID, it started again and so on. Uh, as we'll see in a moment, they had different views with regard to the uh, distribution and the marketing, which means that when you look at what is available digitally, you do have official website, you know, killers of the flower moon movie.com.uk.fr and so on. You do have a Facebook page, but it's very light touch. And all the rest is basically pointing to either Paramount UK uh, or US and or Apple. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason for that. We'll see. But it has limited, if like, you know, the, the exposure uh, to people. Because unless you follow the, those accounts, you won't know about Killers or, or the Flower Moon. Um, now, it all began with regard to following the, the Cannes you know, Film Festival with teaser posters. And... I could, you could tell that they, they still didn't have that marketing machine in gear because the the typography and, and frankly the design, it's not you know what it is currently. So you have a first an image which you could mistaken for being uh, ink on paper, <laughs> but of course when you know a bit more about the story and when you delve into you know the synopsis and the trailer, you realize that this would be uh, oil on potentially a wall or the ground, and then they have one which is simply uh, you know, solid black killers of the flower moon with some strange um, kind of arrows and you could tell that these were with these were the prototypes taking us back to you know the, the summer of 2023 and really the the commitment with regard to posters is as recent as august of this year mm -hmm. the movie was released globally on the 20th of, of um, october and they have four different kind of uh, design elements for the poster. The IMAX is always the, the odd one out, isn't it? IMAX always to a very, very different poster to you know the, the others. But by and large, the poster is about Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, Robert De Niro, and Lily Gladstone. And the calligraphy is now committed. They do some something very interesting with regard to um, you know the killers of the flower moon, which is quite a long um, title if you think about it. Split over three lines, two lines, or one line, and you know different position of the three different kind of um, you know protagonists. Yeah, no, the, the posters are striking. Um, again, they feel. They feel character-led. I mean, we we mm. have spoken about character-led films before, especially films like um, Death on the Nile, etc., where you have the ability to do a poster for each of the characters within the movie. I guess there aren't as many characters in this movie, but you do get that focus on DiCaprio, as you say, and De Niro. And they are striking. They're quite, you know, I, I get the colour palette. I get the... I get the the tone i get the century i get the uh, the feel for it just from those posters so yeah i i think they do eventually um complement the the trailer quite nicely they do and and you can see that they did borrow a bit from the teaser posters because um of the four you have two where on the the, the kind of the 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 right hand side you know the the height on one hand you have stains you know effect from the oil and then yeah. the other's got blood stains as well yeah. so yeah. it's almost as though they're trying to tell you different stories and they are used there for for different territories so some of the poster design is used in the us another one in the uk and the one in europe and so on and i'm sure they are adapting to different cultures and and sensitivities now, the trailers, it's fascinating to me what's happened there. And I think it's all linked, as we'll see in a moment, to go to the marketing challenge of the, the change of strategy when it comes to distribution. Because in May of 2023, 
the uh, release, and this was found on the Paramount official YouTube um, channel, the official teaser. And when you hear the term teaser, to my mind, you think of something brief. It's meant to mm -hmm. tease, mm -hmm. and then there'll be the full version. But this was nearly two minutes long. Yeah. And I was thinking, okay, all right. You know, it is, after all, as you'll see, a long movie. But does it qualify as a teaser? Because the trailer that we saw a moment ago when you introduced the segment was two minutes and 25 seconds, so barely, you know, 30 seconds extra from a teaser to an official trailer. Uh, am I over-analyzing this, or do you think that you've got to be careful what, what, how you label your different trailers? No, I, I think to me a, t a teaser is very short, you know, 20 to 30 seconds tops, even shorter maybe, or 15 seconds. Whereas, you know, this is, as you say, 30 seconds less than the full trailer. <laughs> I mean, why? They may as well have just shown the film. Um, no, I, I think I think uh, you're right. This is not a teaser to me. It's just an earlier version of the trailer. You know, that means more content to enjoy because each version of the, the trailer. So from May 2023, we have another, uh, we have an official trailer. In July, we move on to the final trailer that we saw again in September. And then the day of the global release on the 20th of October, we have then a 60-second trailer, which you could argue is the teaser, where they've been able to introduce, of course, feedback and star ratings from the different uh, brands out there and, and critics. But they've done what you and I've seen done before with, remember the Dungeons & Dragons film mm. marketing review, where there's a final trailer, more mainstream, more generic where they also add a more contemporary uh music track which is really quite jarring with, with the others i get you know the, the marketing tactic and i absolutely hear and understand the the business case for this to something more mainstream but as a film fan i always find it a little difficult to to watch yeah no i i um i agree with you but i think that if you want to tease somebody, tease them quickly and then give them the, the, the proper longer version of the trailer and that sucks them in. The, the risk for me of that about that 60-second teaser trailer with that modern track, it might give the impression that there's more action mm -hmm. than there is. And you know, there's been some murmurs and whispers out there. People say, oh, I was a bit disappointed. Blah, blah, blah. And I say, well, now remember, it's a Western crime drama. You know, it's not an action. But yes. you've got to be careful sometimes about how you present things. And you can sometimes be carried by your own enthusiasm and passion for the project. Talking of passion for the project, when you work in marketing, you don't operate in a bubble. You know, things happening around you that you have to um, – bear in mind and adapt accordingly. And there were a number of marketing challenges. And you and I have spent our career rolling with the punches and adapting and, and, and switching around based particularly on audience preferences, dislikes, and, and behavior. Um, so we're going to go through four very, very important marketing challenges and see what we can derive as, as lesson. And you're going to take us through the, um, the first one. Yeah, so th this was released during the strike. Now, gosh, the strike seems to um, seems to come up everywhere, doesn't it? And and you and I were messaging each other earlier in the week to find that the strike, the strike, it's almost like COVID, isn't it? Is the strike is now the the new big problem that the film industry faces. The strike is probably also going to mean that we don't get to see the next the next episode of Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning until 2025, which I was absolutely devastated to hear, having just watched the first part and loved it and, and just thought, no, I can't wait two years for it now. But the strike, 
has caused all sorts of problems. So the film's United States premiere took place on the 27th of September, 2023, at the Alice Tully Hall at the Lincoln Center in New York City, but none of the cast members were in, a, in attendance because of the strike. So you immediately lose that PR opportunity and the, the photos and the videos and the news news items that will go with it. Perhaps this is one of the reasons why I've not heard of the film, because it just didn't gain any publicity when it actually premiered. This is tough. You know, you can just imagine people in that room, you know, discussing because they say, we don't want to come across as actually not being supportive of, you know, the claims from the writers and, and more because actually it's so legitimate. But, you know, we've got to keep going. You know, yeah. th this is th this is work, you know, to, to be blunt about it. And in fact, you know, this movie needs to earn revenue to be able to finance future productions and so on. So how do you maneuver? How do you manifest, you know, obviously a premiere that has any, any meaning without the cast members and so on. I, I would imagine it would have been a very, very hard um, one to, to to tackle. And I suppose the decision was, let's go ahead and we'll have to accept that this will be a, a more low-key affair. And to your point, we're not going to have the PR kind of might that we, we'd, we'd hoped for and, and mm. the experience. I mean, the second challenge, which is one that surprised me a little, bear in mind you know, what's happening currently in the world of entertainment, very vocal and visible complaints about the movie being too long. Not by all, I hasten to add, you know, Roger, not by all, because in fact, you know, some have praised the length, thinking this is a story that needs to be told correctly based on, on the book, of course. But at three hours and 26 minutes, there's been even film critics as well as you know film fans and, and media saying, now th th this is too long, and and you, you're just basically taking advantage because it's your Martin Scorsese and you you know how to do this you know uh, in a way that is shorter. Yeah, I mean Martin Scorsese earlier film, The Irishman, also starred, starring Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. That was a long film as well. Might even have been longer than this. It was closer to four hours, I think, maybe even mm -hmm. four and a half hours. Uh, I don't remember anybody moaning about that, although that probably came out during the pandemic when people were stuck indoors anyway. But I... I I get quite cross when people start going on about the runtime of films or the runtime of any videos. You know, you get the, the one people say, oh, people's attention spans these days are only 20 seconds, therefore videos have got to be short. No, no, videos can be as long as they need to be, as long as they're good. I don't like long movies that are rubbish, but a long movie that's good and keeps <laughs> your attention and, and has a great story and has pace and sweeps you along is fine. It can be six hours long if it has all of those. If it's six hours long and it's absolutely appallingly shot, no story, and it's boring, then you're not going to watch it. You're going to stand up and you're going to walk out. But the same can be, a, be said of an hour-long film or a 90-minute film or a two-hour film. If it's good, you'll watch it. If it's not good, you'll walk out. And the same applies to this. It's three hours, 26 minutes. So what? If it keeps your attention and it tells a good story, who cares? Yeah, I agree. Um, in fact, you know, when doing a panel Q&A, Martin Scorsese and the editor, Thelma Schoenmacher, um, were simply saying, it's the story that we wanted to tell. And Martin is quoted to say, you know, people say it's three hours, but come on, you can sit in front of the TV and watch something for five hours. Um, I don't remember people being so vocal about Oppenheimer with three hours. 
Uh, sorry, nobody complained about Return of the King, which was uh, pretty much the same duration, three hours and, and 20. And there's been many examples. So I, I just find it interesting why suddenly, you know, uh, people are, are complaining. And is it more to do with attacking the character of Martin Scorsese and the others as opposed to the direction of the film? But challenge number three, which you're going to mention to us, is that near a, a PR disaster. Yeah, I mean, this I don't understand this one either. Apparently, a small number of cinemas in the UK, the View chain, mm -hmm. Germany, Italy, Portugal, Brazil, Amsterdam, and Colorado have introduced an intermission into the film. Now, I can always remember going to the cinema when I was younger, and there was always an intermission in the film, even a short film. Like, I remember going to see Dr. No at the, the cinema, which can't be even two hours long, but there was an intermission in the middle of that. But apparently, these theatres are to be considered in violation of their contract. Um, and the distributors have taken action to stop them. Now, I actually think an intermission in a long film is a good idea. Because let's face it, if you go into the cinema like a lot of people do and get one of those gigantic gallon <laughs> cups of Coke or Fanta or whatever it is, and you sit there sipping it, after an hour and a half, you're going to need to go to the loo. Uh, and, if, and if you go to the loo, let's face it, you're going to miss five minutes of the film. So an intermission makes absolute perfect sense to me. But why they've turned it into a big deal, I really don't know. And, and you know, so I'll go back to the to the room. You know, I'm I'm assuming they have a room where they have yeah. these meetings. So not only did they have to tackle, you know, uh, many things, including the strike and the complaints, and now the very people, you know, the distributors and and the um, the producers are giving you know reason for the media because this was reporting in all major kind of industry um, media as well as um, you know kind of entertainment and and populist press and you, you come across like the the assholes you know for, yeah, forgive yeah. me and uh, and more importantly the, this was a small 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 number of cinemas you know compared to a global release it didn't warrant it and and i think which i think is interesting as a lesson when um you know, uh, magazines like The Hollywood Reporter and Variety got in touch with um, Apple and Paramount. Nobody was available for comment oh, because I think they knew that this had been a coming disaster. I remember once, you know, one of my clients said to me, they work in IT, different industry, but it's kind of saying the day you have to br you know, bring out the contract to complain about something is the end of your working relationship. And, and, and I think ultimately, sadly, Paramount and Apple original come out as the bad guys on this yeah, one because the intermission is, is what it is. And, 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 and importantly, there was a version without the intermission of version with in a very, very small number of cinemas. So I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, the, the, the two items effectively probably contributed to each other. So the fact that some company, some cinemas put an intermission in and then they complained about it probably reinforced this belief that the film was too long. And so the two stories actually compounded each other as opposed to um, acted separately. So, yeah, wh why? Just why? <laughs> and, and finally, Pascal, there was a change of distribution strategy, wasn't there? Yeah, and so, you know, you're in marketing, you've got your, your plan mapped out, you knew that it was a premiere in Cannes, and the original plan, which I think explained pretty much everything about this marketing campaign, was to release, obviously, the movie in selected theatres before going literally wide on Apple TV+. Plus. Mm -hmm. 
and in some territories, Paramount Pictures, and so on. So actually, if you think about everything we've said so far, about the length of the marketing and the low-key Facebook page and you know the fact that they're waiting forever to put posters together and the trailer's a bit, a bit long and so on, it all makes sense within this strategy of going online primarily, not solely, but primarily. In some, and then, of course, uh, people love the movie at Cannes. Of course, you know, with previews and, and kind of trade shows and so on, people absolutely loved it and they changed their mind, they changed the strategy. But when it comes to marketing, you can't keep going as planned. You've got to adapt accordingly. So then you have to put together a marketing campaign, which is around a global theatrical release on the 20th of October, and that changes everything. Yeah, no, the, these, it's quite interesting to look at these challenges that they've faced. Um, and for a movie that I've never heard of, they certainly have faced quite a lot of challenges, but it's been really interesting to talk through these, and there's lessons for us all from a marketing point of view from these. So let me ask you the question again on the score 1 till 10. How likely are you to go and see, you know, Killers of the Flower Moon? Ooh, I think you may have just nudged me into a 9, <laughs> maybe 9.5, Pascal. No, I, I definitely think I definitely think that this is one to see. And, and it's probably, again, it's one of those films that you're going to want to see on the big screen. Now, by the time you listen to this episode or by the time you watch this episode, it's very likely that uh, this film will have been out for a few weeks now and you may well have gone to see the film so do please let us know either in the comments or send us a tweet or send us an x or whatever you're supposed to call it these days and let us know what you think of killers of the flower moon pascal thank you so much for choosing this particular film it's it's often quite nice to talk about a film that you've never heard of and mm. some of the surprises that it can bring. And it, I suppose it just elevates that level of excitement about getting out there and getting to see it. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Give us your feedback. Tell us which films you'd like us to review in the future. Tell us which marketing tech and apps you'd like us to unbox and critique. And if there's any content out there that you'd like us to review, local or international, do please get in touch and let us know. Thank you so much for watching. Until the next episode, go out there and make sure that your marketing is done right. I was Roger Edwards and he was Pascal Fintoni. Thank you.